more than a few months. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Uh, it is our practice here at Grace Covenant to stand when we read God's Word. So let me ask that you stand now if you're able. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was when He was taken up. After He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father had fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work now. It is your Uh, function within the Trinity, within the Godhead, to um, having inspired these words, having preserved these words. It's your function to be at work in them and through them in our own hearts and lives. And we pray for your presence now. Teach us, grow us, change us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I um, I don't watch tons of television. I just don't have time for that much. Uh, Unless it's English Premier League soccer or Clemson football, I probably haven't seen it. Um, However, uh, I've noticed that Netflix and Amazon Prime have uh, created, and this probably isn't all that new, but it's have created quite possibly the coolest invention ever. You know those times when you just feel like you're on vacation, you're tired and worn out, you're sick. I, I don't know. You, you just feel like binge watching about four or five episodes of something. And as episode two begins, it almost inevitably you know, begins with, you know, last time on The Crown. And then it launches into sort of the summary of what happened in the last episode. But then you have this option this really cool option to choose skip intro. And you don't have to read. I mean, if you're binge watching something, you, you know what just happened. You just saw it about five minutes ago. You've, you know, you've taken a break long enough to refill your drink and to get a snack. And then you come back for episode two. You haven't forgotten what happened in episode one. So you hit skip intro. Well, in many ways, the book of Acts begins with last time on 
Last time in episode one, last time in the thing I wrote before, the worst thing we could do would be to click skip intro. We would be tempted to click that little button and think, well, if I skip the intro, then I can just jump to, I mean, okay, if if the writer is telling me what he's already said before, then I don't really need to read it because I can read it there and I can just skip to the part that starts now. If we hit skip intro, we miss the whole point of the book of Acts. We miss everything that the book is about. Notice first that the writer calls our attention to the establishing of the kingdom of God. The author points us back. I mean, right off the bat, the very first phrase in the first book, O Theophilus. That's his way of last time on the crown. We saw this. And the first 11 verses basically rehash for us that which he's already shown us. But, I mean, surely you're wondering, hold on, who's the author? Who's Theophilus? And where's episode 1? Where do I find that? It sure would be nice if I could just sort of back up in my Bible and find episode 1 and figure out, make the connections of this book to the last one. Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And notice how Luke begins his gospel. And as many uh, as in inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So Luke is writing his gospel to this guy, Theophilus. Here he calls him most excellent Theophilus. Maybe he's a patron. Maybe he's the one sort of paying for Luke to do the work. Maybe he's some eminent man. He's a Gentile. Maybe he's somewhere in some Roman authority. That same phrase, oh, most excellent, is used by Paul for Felix and Festus at the end of, of Acts. We'll get there eventually. Luke is writing this volume two of his uh, works, of his essentially the history of the Christian church from the birth of Christ up until wherever he finishes in Acts 28. He's connecting this book to that one. Don't think of Acts as, of Luke and Acts, like you know, pride and prejudice and sense and sensibility. Two books that just happen to be written by the same author but, but they don't begin with reference to the other one. There's no connection between them at all. That's not Luke and Acts. In some ways, it's, it's unfortunate the placement of the Gospel of John. You almost wish you could pull John out and let Acts you know, kind of fall for, slide forward and then put John after Acts. So you can kind of get volume one and volume two together. Luke is writing volume two of, of the same story. Notice even the, the language he uses uh, in Acts chapter 1. 
He describes, in the first book, I dealt with the things that Jesus began to do and teach. There's a connection. The implication there is that what he's about to write is the stuff Jesus finished doing and teaching. The reality is, I guess most of our Bibles call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, It probably should be the Acts of the Ascended Christ. The Acts of the Ascended Savior. Uh, It's really only a couple of apostles anyway uh, involved in the book of Acts. Luke wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't one of the original disciples. He wasn't there, we were told, at the beginning of Luke. He did research. He asked people. He asked questions. He went around with a, a, a survey sheet, probably, and asked Mary, and asked her all kinds of questions, and asked Peter, and asked him all kinds of questions, and asked all kinds of people, and did all kinds of research to put together the book of Luke. What we'll find in the book of Acts is that Luke is actually there. There are a number of places in the book of Acts where Luke switches to first person plural. We did this. We did that. He's actually traveling with Paul on his missionary journeys. And so Luke is writing volume two of the things that Jesus is accomplishing on earth. That gospel of Luke was about the things Jesus began to do and teach and then Acts sort of finishes up. It traces the rest of his work. For that matter, he even gives us a a timeline at uh, the beginning of Acts. He, He said, what I wrote before, what he began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So Jesus is, I mean, Luke has already talked about the, the ascension of Jesus before, and you can find it at the end of, of Luke's gospel in chapter 24. And the implication is, right, the next passage deals with his ascension and it's picking up right where he left off. So Luke's right, Luke writes a two-volume history of the early church from the birth of Jesus to the ascension, and then volume two picks up at the ascension and goes on from there. But notice what Luke was about. Luke was about the arrival, the coming of the kingdom of God, the establishing of the kingdom of God. That's, that's what Luke calls our attention to that in Acts chapter one again. That he was teaching during those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. Go back to Luke 4. The first sermon Jesus preaches in Luke 4. He reads from Isaiah. In fact, we just covered this just a few weeks ago as we looked at the office of deacon. He reads from Isaiah who envisions a kingdom when the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. And Jesus reads that passage, rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant and says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. That kingdom is here now, Jesus says. Mark begins his gospel in chapter 1 with Jesus saying, today is... Uh, The kingdom of God is at hand. So Luke reminds us here at the beginning of Acts that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. But then he also gives us the evidence of the kingdom of God. 
How do you know that the kingdom of God has actually come? How do you know that it's actually here now? What evidence do we have? Well, Luke begins by pointing to evidence for the reality, the existence, the presence of God's kingdom on the earth. The first is verse 3. He presented himself, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is evidence of the presence of his kingdom. You know this, you live this, you experience this, you totally understand this. The Alan Parsons Project informed us uh, that time keeps flowing like a river to the sea. The Steve Miller Band reminds us that time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. You and I know that time moves forward. Benjamin Button may have been a, a, a fine movie. I have no idea. I didn't see it. And it's a fascinating concept. What about somebody who's born old and grows younger? And the reason it's fascinating is because it doesn't happen. That's not reality. That's not life for us. We are born young and we grow older. From the moment we're born, we're actually progressing towards death. Jesus, however, in the flesh, on this earth, walks out of a tomb, defeating death itself. And in that moment, you realize resurrection is a new creation reality. It's not a this creation reality. It's a new creation reality. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the new creation broke into this one. How do you know the kingdom of God is here? Because the resurrection of Jesus says, and, and then he appears to people over and over again by many proofs. He's teaching, he's interacting with his disciples and, and various crowds. And you can read of that in other places. And every single time he met with somebody new, the world is reminded death can't stop him. Death could not defeat Christ our Savior. That last ditch effort of sin. That last gasp of the reality of life in a fallen world. The, the greatest weapon that sin has, the final weapon in our minds that sin actually can throw at us is, well, look, I mean, you, know, you can go through life and, and deal with sin and, and the consequences and the effects of sin, but just you wait because death's coming and and it will get you. That, that's what sin thinks. That's what Satan thinks. And every time Jesus appeared to somebody new during those 40 days, it was as if he was saying, sin can't stop me. Death cannot win. It's evidence of the reality of the kingdom of God. This new world event, this new creation event of the resurrection has broken into this one. And Jesus reminds his followers that he, he alone has defeated sin and death and Satan himself. 
and promises us that same future hope, that same future reality. There's another evidence for the kingdom of God. We find it in verse 6. Notice that the disciples ask a question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? They are terribly mistaken about this notion of the kingdom. They completely misunderstand the kingdom itself. They think, A, it's limited to a nation. And it just, just belongs to Israel. Are you going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel at this time? And Jesus' answer basically says, pay attention to the rest of the book of Acts. The kingdom goes far beyond just this nation, just these national borders. They, they think that it's just a physical kingdom limited to Israel. And the answer is, no, the reality is the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that far surpasses any national border. They thought, they still have this sort of Jewish notion that Jesus is going to ride into town on a white stallion with his sword drawn and kill Caesar and destroy Rome and free Israel from their oppression. They completely missed the point of the kingdom of God. But they also are asking a future question. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were herald camping before herald camping was ever thought of. They're looking for dates. They're looking for timelines. They've, they're, they're sort of examining Scripture and go, well, but see, if I put this together, if I take Daniel and Revelation and this and that, and, and I put these pieces together, I can nail the time when Jesus is coming back. Jesus says, no, you can't. The next time somebody comes to you with a date, a time, a place, I've got it all figured out. I've run the algorithms and the logarithms and the whatever, and I've gotten it all nailed down. Run. Nobody has that information. Jesus himself didn't give them that information. And so they're asking for things that we are not supposed to have, that we can't have, that we won't have. We're to be content with a life of faith rather than a life of sight. There's another evidence for the kingdom of God. Because at this point, Jesus leaves them. You ever had those, those, those moments when you think, alright, look, I've got questions. I just, I've got questions. And, and I can't get a decent answer from anybody. And I sure wish that I lived when Jesus was on the earth. Because that would be better. We have this notion that if we were with Jesus, that that would be better for us. And yet Jesus, in His infinite wisdom, planned from eternity past, says, actually, it's better for me to leave. It's actually better for you if I'm not here and instead I give you the Holy Spirit. And so the reality is that Jesus' ascension 
as He ascends, as He leaves the earth to go and be seated at the right hand of the Father. We just confessed as much together in the Apostles' Creed. That's evidence that the kingdom of God is here. That that it's been established on the earth because the work of Christ in the flesh on the earth has been accomplished. And so now He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, ruling and reigning over His creation as the King. And so Luke shows us the establishing of the kingdom of God and evidence for the kingdom of God. But then he also gives us this glimpse into the energizing the kingdom of God. Where does the kingdom get its power? Where does the kingdom get its authority and purpose and role and, and, and power in this life? Look at verse 5. As Jesus leaves, He told the disciples, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Look down at verse 8 and notice the way He says it in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That, that word power. Uh, the Greek word, I don't frequently give you original language stuff every now and then. It's just fascinating enough. The Greek word is the word dunamis. It's the word that gives us dynamite. That's power. That's not, well, I'm going to give you the Spirit and... You're just going to do the best you can. The Spirit is the dynamite of the kingdom of heaven. Granting us His Spirit is is empowering the kingdom of God. How do we know the the kingdom's going to grow? How do we know that as as these disciples go out into the world and, and preach the gospel, how do we know that as Paul travels around the Mediterranean and proclaims Christ, how do we know that as as Peter and John walk into the the Jewish leaders and and say, this is Jesus. Let me show you how He fulfills the old... How do they know that it's going to accomplish something? It's not because of them. It's not because of their eloquence. It's not because of their words. And it's certainly not from their training. It's by the power of the Spirit at work in this world. The Spirit is at work in the Word of God to convert sinners and to equip the saints for ministry. For that matter, in verse 8, He calls them witnesses. Again, the word is martyr. Okay, they didn't know at this point that marturus or whatever, whichever martyr, however it's written here, that martyr would mean die for the faith. Now, it appears they all ultimately did. But they're witnesses. They're sent out by God to to tell of Christ, to to testify to what they saw and what they've learned and what they've heard and what they witnessed in the life of Christ. And to exalt and proclaim Him as the only Savior of sinners. It would ultimately mean their death. But these are normal regular men who will ultimately put to de- be put to death for their faith, for proclaiming the Gospel. 
And they would do so because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 1. Look back at verse 1. Again, there's that word began. The Gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts tells us what Jesus has finished doing or continued to do. So we might rightly call this the Acts of the, not the Apostles, but the Ascended Christ. It's the story of, of the work of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people like you and me who've experienced God's favor and proclaim His kingdom in this world. The emergence of the kingdom, the evidence of the kingdom, the energy of the kingdom, and finally, He points us to the expansion of the kingdom. Notice verse 8. Why do they need the Spirit? Why do they need the the Holy Spirit uh, in their hearts and lives? Why do they need to stay and wait until they've received the Holy Spirit? Because they're going to be sent out into the world. The Son is going to leave. He's going to return to the Father. And He's going to leave them just a few disciples. The eleven. Judas at this point hasn't been replaced. Perhaps some women who have been following them and and ministering to them over the years anyway. Perhaps some other followers, disciples, not the twelve, but other followers of Christ. They're in this bunch. It's a small bunch. It's not the room that you and I would walk into and go, now, if we're going to start a movement, let's do it with these people. They've got the money to pull. Well, no, that's not true either. They've got the wisdom and the knowledge. No, not really. I know. They've got the fame and... Oh, no. But everybody likes them. They've got the personality. Not so much that either. These aren't the people you would start a movement with. It's not that many. And they're hanging out in Jerusalem waiting until they're sent out as they were commanded to do. It's not a really impressive bunch. And Jesus says, you people, this room, you are going to see to it that the kingdom expands in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts. You can watch. We'll notice this as we're preaching through the book. You'll watch as the gospel is growing in Jerusalem and then expands out into Judea and Samaria and then goes even to the ends of the earth. In other words, the aim of Acts is to encourage and equip us to see that kingdom continue to expand. They didn't start by going to Rome. They didn't start with, it ends in Rome. But they don't start by saying, well, you know what, if we're going to, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So let's do this. You three guys stay here in Jerusalem. You three guys go to Judea. You three guys go to Samaria. And you three guys go to Rome because in essence, that is the ends of the earth. It's certainly the, the ends of our known world at this time. And then we've got them all covered. We can do it all at once. No, it didn't start that way. It started with men who took the gospel where they were. 
They were in Jerusalem. So they started by living and proclaiming the Gospel in Jerusalem. Wherever they seem to go. You don't have to go to Taiwan or Italy. Those are the foreign missionaries we're supporting currently here at Grace Covenant. To advance the kingdom of God, you and I are actually called to grow God's kingdom wherever we are. Let me make just a couple of applications from this passage. The first is this. Um, Acts is written uh, not just to encourage us individually, but to also encourage us corporately as a church uh, as well. And what that means is that the, the, the means used in Acts for expanding the kingdom of God are the means that we at Grace Covenant Church will use to expand the kingdom of God. There are no gimmicks, no tricks, no magic shows, uh, nobody tearing phone books in half, no zombies, no petting zoos. None of those things ever show up in the book of Acts. What we see is the ordinary means of grace, the word, sacraments, prayer, fellowship, experienced by regular, ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is our method. That is the way we will accomplish our role in expanding the kingdom of God. The means used in the book of Acts are the means we will use here at Grace Covenant. If they're adequate enough for the church in the first century, they're adequate enough for the church in the 21st. A second application. Uh, don't begrudge small beginnings. This is not the group of people meeting in the upper room, waiting on the Spirit, hanging out together. These are not the people you would start a movement with. They're exactly the people Jesus used to grow the church. To reach the ends of the earth with the gospel of Christ. Don't begrudge small beginnings. In fact, let me get you to look at something real quick. Turn to Acts 28. Let me just show you. Um, I'm not a big fan of giving away uh, the end at the beginning. My family can tell you that. I like to keep people in suspense. But I need you to see where the book of Acts ends. The very last verse, two verses. He, that's Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Some versions end with unhindered. That's the gospel. We frequently are afraid of how people will respond. We frequently are timid when it comes to evangelism, to proclaiming Christ to others, to, to offering the gospel of salvation to people who have never trusted in Christ. This book ends, the word is unhindered. It cannot be stopped. Be encouraged. Be equipped. Be empowered by that truth. By that reality. Don't begrudge small beginnings. A third application. I want you to notice 
uh, the disciples, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. He didn't tell them to wait together. But they appear to be together. You need each other. We're not called to live the gospel life alone. Outside of the church. We, the church, we need each other. We need one another. To be strengthened and encouraged and equipped. To be comforted. To be given hope and, and encouragement along the way. These disciples seem to understand that intuitively. And we see that play out throughout the rest of the book. A fourth application. You and I don't have the power to grow God's kingdom. You and I, in and of ourselves, don't have the power to grow God's kingdom. We're dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. What that means is we should be praying more fervently for Him. To be at work. Why is prayer one of the ordinary means of grace? Because we aren't it. We need the Spirit to be at work in us and through us to grow the kingdom of God. We must be committed to prayer. And lastly, are you a subject of the King? The reality is the kingdom of God has come wherever He rules by His decree. He's given you His decree in His Word. If you've trusted in Christ and Him alone for your salvation, then you are a subject of the King. Is He ruling and reigning in your life by His Word? If you've never trusted in Christ and Him alone for your salvation, you're outside of the kingdom. Would you bow your knee even now and receive Christ as Savior and, and trust in Him by faith and become a subject of the King of heaven and earth? Let's pray together. We pray, our great God and our King, that You would grant us Your Spirit. Uh, even now, in, equip us, empower us to proclaim the Gospel uh, wherever we go. Uh, from Athens to Limestone County and Alabama and even to the ends of the earth. Father, we pray that You would strengthen and encourage us in our walk with Christ, that You would use these ordinary means of grace, the Word and sacraments and prayer and fellowship with each other to reach the lost and equip Your saints. To gather and perfect Your saints. And we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that You would grow Your kingdom. We thank You for the picture of the growth of the kingdom in places like China and India and quite honestly, in Italy and Taiwan. And we pray that You would continue to pour out Your Spirit. Gather Your saints into Your kingdom, into Your presence, that we may anticipate the day when every tongue and tribe and people and nation have bowed their knee and are singing and proclaiming the honors and glories of Christ our King. We pray all of this in the name of Christ and for His sake.
Amen.